This episode is sponsored by Costly. Deliver secure software changes at scale and deploy to production with speed and compliance. Learn more at Costly's website. That's K-O-S-L-I dot com. All right, joining me today is Mike Long, CEO of Costly. Welcome to the show, Mike. Thanks for having me. All right, we're going to talk about DevOps, compliance, and a whole bunch of fun topics today. But before we get to that, I, th- I thought we'd start with something I saw on your Twitter account. You recently moved to the Bay Area, and then, of course, uh, you were then a part of an attempted uh, car robbery. So I want you to, to kind of give me the play-by-play. One, where are you originally from? Why did you move to the Bay Area? And then, of course, I want to hear what happened with the car, the attempted car robbery. Yeah, okay. So, I mean, just to uh, take some of the sting out of it, it wasn't actually the car they were trying to rob. It was stuff in the car. So, you know, <laughs> it's probably, uh, you know, on the grand scheme of things in, in the Bay Area, probably not uh, no just big a blip, deal. On the, blip on the radar. But, um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, we came a week, a week ago, our family. Um, my wife and I were on the way to, to the bank, actually, to open bank accounts, you know, uh, so, but we were early, so we decided to stop in by a, a coffee shop. We parked in a public car park next to a very busy street, went in for a coffee, came back out. So get into the car, I start putting in like the GPS coordinates for the, the bank. And my wife's like, do you see the car behind you? And I was like, I looked up in the, the, the rear view mirror and I said, yeah, I see the car. Like again, I'm not going to back out of the spot without checking first. Uh, and then I didn't quite catch the concern in her, in her voice. And yeah, so I finished putting in the coordinates in the, the GPS. I turned the car on. And as I'm starting to get ready to move, I hear a click behind the, the, my, my ear. And it's like the back door. And my wife's like, Mike. Uh, I, I was like, I looked into the wing mirror because that's what you do. And there was someone with a like a, a black mask over their face, a hood up, creeping into the like the back door and trying to get in to, to steal the bag. I, uh-huh. I now realize, and I freaked out because like this is my this <laughs> this is my first time being robbed, <laughs> right, right? Okay. Um, so yeah, I, I jump out the car and say, "Hey!" and start screaming. And it's like busy place, and like there's a, the car is behind me still there with the door open. Obviously, he's planning to steal the bag and his mate's going to drive off while uh, uh-huh. I'm left without a bag. Uh, but he, I could see the kid, he gets scared uh, uh-huh. and he starts backing off. He's worried about what I'm going to do. Um, right. I mean, I'm not dangerous, but I'm big. Uh-huh. Um, he runs into the car and the car screeches off. And like, <laughs> by, by now my heart is like going a thousand beats per, per minute. And I think, what just happened? I didn't even like, it, 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 it took some minutes to really figure it out. Like, ah, he was trying to steal the bag. I put okay. it in the back seat. Of course I did. And, you know, being a naive Norwegian, I don't think about locking doors or <laughs> getting robbed. <laughs> um, so it was, it was a, you know, it was a, 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 good, uh, a good introduction to the vigilance we need uh, to, to, to do well here. But, you know, big picture, everything was fine. Nothing got stolen. Nobody was hurt. Um, so, and good outcomes all around. Right. Um, but you know, it was only as I got to the bank I realized, oh man, if they had stolen this bag, it's got our passports, oh, our wow. birth certificates, our marriage yeah. certificates, our visas that uh-huh. we need to open bank accounts in a foreign country. Mm-hmm. And if we'd lost that bag, I didn't have my laptop in it. The the, the thief would have got 
absolutely nothing of value. There's no resale value on anything in that bag. Uh, mm-hmm. But it would have left me in a Kafkaesque nightmare of being in a foreign country with no ID for my whole family. So <laughs> that, that would have been quite quite the experience for you, I'm sure. Yeah, it was a a, a lucky escape for oh, sure. Good. Well, I'm glad you survived. I'm sorry on behalf of the entire United States. I'm, I'm sorry we didn't at least give you two weeks before. Uh, before <laughs> there should be some kind of induction course or something. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's like, come on, this guy's new. He just got here. Let's uh, do it. But I will say, you know, I was recently involved. I won't go into the old details, but something where this, I don't know, kind of this random act where I got pushed down by this kind of person I was having some problems and like. You know, you always think in these moments, like you, at least I do, like, you know what I'd like to do? I'd like to react like Jason Bourne. Like, I, you know what I mean? Like you immediately know what's going on and you take action and you like completely take uh, control of the situation. But I have to say, like, when I really look back on my own experience, it's like, I was mostly confused. I was just like, what's going on? Like, I wasn't even um, like a little adrenaline, but it was less scared. I was just like confused for like several minutes. And then it was kind of like all over, like this, this person kind of ran off and, you know, whatever. And I was just like, Oh, okay. So I'm like, yeah, I'm like, I have a lot of Jason board training to do. I wasn't ready at all. I had no idea what was going on. And I was, and it was, uh, so I don't know, maybe that is something kind of just, maybe it's just human nature, right? It's just like, if, you, if it doesn't happen a lot, you're just kind of like confused. So that's maybe my lesson from that kind of was like, well, you just do the best you can, but you're probably going to be confused when something, especially when it's, it surprises you out of nowhere. So yeah, um, it, it does feel like a black swan event, but you know, hopefully it is. Who knows? Well, let's uh, let's go back in time. So, you know, I, we know that you've just recently moved, uh, you know, in uh, to uh, the Bay Area. So congratulations coming over. But why don't you kind of give us a little bit of background? Uh, sort of, I think you have a really interesting international background from looking at it. So kind of like, where did you grow up and kind of give us your story? Like, what was your big entry point into tech? Yeah, well, I mean, this is, I'm, I'm one of those people that like, where are you, where are you from is a hard question to answer. <laughs> so I, I was born in Australia in Melbourne. Um mm-hmm. And when I was about nine, uh, my family moved to Scotland. So uh, I, I, I'd say I grew up in Scotland. I went to university in Scotland. Um, most of my accent is from Scotland, but it's a bit of everything now. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, yeah, I studied computer science. So like, I always knew I was going to get into tech. I was sure. you know, making my own Space Invaders games when I was a, a geeky teenager and all this stuff. I, I mean, I was all the cliches. Um, and then, yeah, after university, I went into um, the oil and gas industry. I worked for a company called Schlumberger. Um, and they're one of these massive companies that most people have never heard about. Uh, it's a services company for the oil and gas industry, but I was in R&D there. Um, so, like, in order to, like, the gas you get at the pump, it, there's a whole story about how that happens, right? Uh, my, like, my first project was... a uh, I was a software engineer on a project to make a drilling tool, a directional drilling tool. So, that, you know, as you're from the, the, the oil rig, you're, you're putting pipe down. And at the end, there's a big, massive bit with uh, diamond teeth on it that spins around really fast. And what's interesting is that you really actually want to direct where that thing is going, this whole, like, mm-hmm. straw of uh, metal. So you have like this, these uh, units on the end that are called control units and you, you, you have uh, real-time directional steering as this thing's spinning around. That was my first project. Uh, it was a lot of fun. You know, I got to travel around. I was in West Texas, Oklahoma, <laughs> testing things out. You know, you got to meet some uh, – I've got some stories that we don't have time for today, but <laughs> it, was a, it was a blast. Um, and after that, I went moved to Norway and worked on marine seismic acquisition, which was another fantastic technical project. It was 
completely green field. The story is you drag 100,000 sensors behind a boat uh, on like these big streamers that you uh, steer, you do echolocation on, you make big bangs, and you listen to the echoes coming back from the subsurface geology. And hopefully from that, you get some wavy lines that you can turn into yeah, subsurface geology, which you can figure out if there may or may not be oil in, in there. And then I went to uh, to China and did some more uh, more stuff in the space. But you know, I've always been interested in how teams deliver technology. Like when I was a student, even I was into extreme programming, test driven development, all of that stuff, and continuous integration. And I brought all those things with me in my career. Um, and then after like that that ten year journey in, in in oil and gas, I, I wanted to get out and do consulting and coaching and training. So. Um, ended up joining forces with a couple of Danish entrepreneurs and we built a DevOps consulting business together. Mm-hmm. You know, all these things ended up being called DevOps in some way. So, so what about like Schlumberger? Because it seems like that's kind of like you spent about 10 years there. And I think just so everybody knows, like Schlumberger is a giant company. I just looked it up. I think it's like $23 billion revenue. So it's like one of these things like if you know, you know, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like a massive company. And so, and like all the things you just mentioned there. So at what point, sounds like you're doing like these really interesting kind of like, I don't know, let's just call it uh, just trying to discover oil. But at some point you sort of kind of, is it's the place where you start to get exposed to DevOps and like the idea of like compliance and auditing? Is that like part of your job there? Like what, what sort of kind of like springs the interest in that world uh, for you? Well, it was actually not uh, compliance. Compliance came later, but during Schlumberger, it was really around test-driven development and mm-hmm. CI. So I was like, what I ended up doing in China was uh, being uh, an architect for a massive uh, DevOps uh, function that served engineers across the world. So it's kind of like very early, what you would call platform engineering now, but mm-hmm. back in the day, it was like just mass CI, I guess right. you'd call it. Like, um and so it was like, you know, I was really into Hudson and then became Jenkins and, you know, all the, like, how do we do hardware in the loop testing? How do we, yeah, I was just into automation, I guess. And that ended up being called DevOps. But when we started DevOps. Yeah, at the really beginning, it was just like everyone's just trying to automate something. And then eventually somebody puts some words around and puts around a pipeline. So that that's, well, I have to ask before we get off of like, what's it like? I mean, it sounds like you're like, an, I was about to say you're, you're an expat of the world. You've like lived everywhere, but like China seems pretty unique what was it like maybe just give us a few uh moments on like what's it like to live in china as an expat trying to build a an automation platform that seems crazy yeah well i mean it was i love my job there it was a lot of fun um china was a blast in many ways um just because it was so different than anything like it was a real culture shock work-wise uh people just are different right um they have different different backgrounds different philosophies on life uh, and that in itself was interesting, but um, yeah, it was it was also kind of good to get that experience as well. Like Europe is different from China, and China is different from America, and even in America, like West Texas and the Bay Area, are they might as well be different countries, right? Yeah, sure. Um, so I mean, I, I, I'm fascinated by people. Uh, I guess that's why the DevOps part of tech is what attracted me in the first place so yeah it's it's been fun i mean the the main reason why i kind of left china in the end was because it was was great professionally but it was quite hard on the family um sure you know you work long days there's lots of traffic lots of pollution 
um, there was there was a lot of challenges on a on a personal basis living there as a family, but uh, from work, I, uh, it was just great. All right. Well, that's good. So it sounds like Schumble is a great experience, starting to get some, you know, some uh, exposure to DevOps and then, you know, kind of interrupted you. So you decided to leave there and then take it from there. You, you opened up, you know, hooked up with some entrepreneurs. Like what, what happened? Well, they were also like techies as well. We, I mean, we, we were trying to build a, a, a DevOps business and we did. Uh, we called it continuous delivery because we believed more about the, the outcome than the label. Uh, but we grew to 50 people across Scandinavia. It was, it was, it was a blast. And I was, I took on the CTO role there. Um, so, I mean, what that means in a consulting business is anyone's guess. But, you know, you do a lot of recruitment training. You, you answered the hard questions, regardless of what they are. They, that's, that's really what, that's what I find that those people do. But go ahead. Yeah, exactly. And, and that was the fun part about it as well. Like we, we grew a business with a fantastic culture, had, had a lot of fun and it was all organic. We were just, you know, doing it for the love of the game in a sense. Uh, and we got pulled into places where DevOps was more challenging, right? We was working in automotive or healthcare or financial services or these areas where, you know, they all thought they had very unique problems, right? Uh, they called mm-hmm. it different things. We need traceability or we need, uh, we need to pass our ISO audit or the regulators are going to come or, you know, the change management board need this. Uh, but you zoom out, it's the same thing, right? You yep. need a process, you need to follow the process, which DevOps, by the way, is really good at helping you with. Mm-hmm. And then you need the proof that you follow the process. Um, so it was just working with all these companies uh, in Scandinavia and further afield and more challenging DevOps environments uh, was a great experience. You know, you get to see different tools, different organizational cultures, what works, what doesn't. Um, and So what, like, maybe... Uh, drawing on that broad experience, sort of like what did you sort of like take away from working on so many different projects? Was there sort of some key things about like what made a group successful and maybe what made a group either less successful or failed? Is there anything that you kind of recognized? Yeah, I think the like the main thing that the main key to success was, I, I guess you would also call it platform engineering now, but like a lot of places that struggle with complexity is because they're not very good at saying no. They're not good at saying this is the way we're going to do it for like 95% of things mm-hmm. um, where you let a thousand flowers bloom. You also have a lot of challenges around maintenance, uh, continuous improvement, quality. Uh, and yeah, some companies are okay with that. That's their philosophy. We're going to do diff- let teams uh, make their own decisions is, is, is great on paper, but in, on, a, on an organizational scale, it comes at a significant cost. Um, then again, you know, some places are actually, they need that because every single team is working on a different tech stack and uh, have different constraints, but that's not that typical. Um, so maybe a good way to think about it is that, you know, everybody, and you've mentioned platform engineering and DevOps and things like that. And so everybody sort of brings their own kind of definition a little bit to this. And so if you look at the the world today, cause it's sort of like, you know, you had this decade Lots of experience of doing it. So, so now the keywords you're hearing is DevOps, platform engineering, and you're even hearing a little bit of like the second wave of DevOps. If you look at some of the startups and things out there. So maybe just kind of a, a real broad question for you is just sort of like, how do you define DevOps? And like, where do you see we are? Are we in an evolution? Is something new happening? Or is it more, we just need to double down and be better at what we're doing, what we've been doing, if you will. 
I see it as a continuum, but I also saw DevOps as a continuum uh, of Agile, in a sense. Mm -hmm. I feel that, okay, Agile was all about getting close to your customer and doing incremental improvements. And, you know, there was a, you know, it was a very simple idea. Let's just talk to people, work together, and don't try and boil the ocean. And DevOps was kind of a technical extension of, of Agile, where we say, okay, in order to be able to deliver continuously, which is in the manifesto, what we actually need is a bunch of practices like uh, uh, CICD, test automation, security scanning, and so on, uh, deployment automation. Uh, like you, you could say that that first wave was, was really a wave because you had like Chef and Puppet and yep. eventually Docker and Kubernetes, uh, which were all about like how do we have agility in our infrastructure and our deployment uh, methods. Um, so what the second wave is, I don't know, but I feel it's all a continuum. Like, you know, I'm, I'm a big fan of, I don't, don't know if you've come across this book uh, by Thomas Kuhn, The Structure of Scientific Revolutions, hmm. where he, he, he talks about how, um, how disciplines and fields of research uh, evolve over time. You know, we tend to think of uh, science working like Popper uh, to find it, where, you know, you make a hypothesis, you do the experiment, you collect the data, and then you, you, you make conclusions based on that, and you go through this iterative cycle. And that's true in, like, in the broad, like, what they call normal science in the Kuhn model. But eventually, um, anomalies creep in, and, and things don't, like, you get facts and data and results that don't fit in the existing paradigm. This is where paradigm shift comes from. Mm -hmm. So those anomalies get more and more until the field becomes in a crisis. And um, then from that crisis, the only way out is a new theory, a new paradigm. And then you go back through into the cycle of normal science. And it all starts again. Mm -hmm. And it all starts again. Uh, So it's like incremental gains and then a leap. Um, so I do think DevOps was actually a leap. I think it was an, a, a leap about how do we do Agile? And I think Agile was a leap before yeah. that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, no, but, I really like the way you're kind of stringing it together because you can almost say the success of Agile got to a point of like, well, it's good we can iteratively build software better that probably does what people want, at least a lot more likely than like Waterfall. But then the limitation of Agile was sort of like, well, we got the software but we can't quite get it to production. It's taking a long, we have this roadblock and then you can say we need to automate things and that leads to DevOps. And I think maybe where we could say where DevOps is today, it's, you know, obviously just a broad thing. It's like sort of like we did a lot of automation inside of DevOps, but like this idea that like everyone's deploying, you know, daily, I think, and this is maybe that broad idea of second wave or sort of like, we know we haven't gotten there. Like not everyone, no, most companies and large teams, they're not there that, right. They're just still kind of struggling with it. So Maybe it's just the acknowledgement of like, you know, to deliver that, we got to do something different. To your point, like, I guess we're in that that next, uh, we're searching for the next paradigm. Like, we're out mm-hmm. there trying to be like, well, what, what can we do? Which which I think is exciting, right? Which is, But it's also frustrating because I think sometimes people are like, oh, Agile, DevOps, they didn't deliver. But they, I think you're right. When you look back on it, it probably delivered more than we we think about um, in retrospect. So I, I like those. I really like those ideas. So that kind of leads me into, you know, where you're at. So you've had all this experience. You've done the consulting stuff. And then it sounds like, you know, you wanted to, to take a shot and start your own company costly. So, you know, like, like every, I always want to hear the origin story. So what, 
Why did you decide to start Costly? Kind of what's your unique perspective you're trying to bring to the industry with it? Well, I mean, it's quite interesting because this story about the the paradigms and and what we've gone through in DevOps, I think the key part of like what I think was the the leap, the new theory that enabled DevOps wasn't actually the automation. It was this idea of bringing together ops and dev Mm -hmm. to the same room and saying, okay, you guys used to be siloed, but if you're together, guess what? Uh, Right now you're speaking a different language. You're rewarded by different things. You've got different goals. Different tools. Yeah, everything. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So get into the same room and like try and build a bridge here. You'll have better outcomes because guess what? You're on the same value stream anyway. Like Mm -hmm. you can pretend you're not, but this is your value stream. This is your factory floor from requirement to production. That's your goal. And you have to work together to solve that. So kind of where where I'm excited about is this area called governance engineering, which is basically applying the same theory around uh, dev and ops getting together, where you get engineering, which is DevOps basically, and Mm -hmm. you get governance working on the same problem. Because a lot of the places where like the, the the promise of DevOps isn't really being realized is in places where they have governance needs. Like you've got risk, security, compliance, change management, audit, whatever kind of, all of that falls under the, are we managing our risks and protecting our brand story? So there's the, and they have their own language, their own tools, which is yep. mostly documents and their own ways of seeing the world. Their own, they're rewarded by compliance, Right. And on the other side, you've got the engineers who think like, okay, I've got automation, I've got tools, I'm managing my risks, I've got security scans, let's just go. And you know, they really need to come together and solve this problem. And, and this is like, this is why we started Cosly in the first place. Was like, the, the 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 real nexus came from. I was asked to go. I did a consulting gig for a bank in Australia, and they had. Um, yeah, they were building a, I think it was called an engineering, um, anyway, some kind of uh, internal consulting function, which was to bring DevOps into the rest of the organization. So I was helping this new function set up with like the tools we used in consulting in DevOps, like uh, value stream mapping, uh, understanding the gap analysis, what kind of tools that the, the teams were using, where the 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 waste, the the weight states were, the rework, all of that stuff. Um, we went into internet banking and the mobile banking parts of the organization and, and ran this process with them. And we saw that their release process had gone from six-month releases to six-week releases. And we could see from their, their change database that that was a massive improvement in terms of there was far... Uh, fewer quick fixes, far lesser downtime. You know, they were getting all the promises of Mm -hmm. faster releases. And also they were more more agile. They could change their mind. They were trying to stuff less into each release, all the good stuff. But if they wanted to get down to daily or on-demand releases, they had a problem because in that six-week window, half of it was the release process. You know, it was cutting the branch, filling out forms and SharePoint, scheduling a, a meeting in the change advisory board, going to uh, putting something in the change calendar. Like there was just three weeks of yeah, dead air. Just interrupt you there. Like maybe give us a little bit. Cause I think people broadly hear the word governance 
but mm. it's, it can be kind of abstract. Maybe and maybe the bank is a good example. Maybe just give us a few examples. Like I, I stuff I think of is like you know know your customer or some of the credit card regulars. But so to your point about when they're filling out the form, because I think there's like a real easy way to be like I'm just filling out a form. This is stupid, right? But like maybe take us behind the form because like what do these people have to do? Why is it? Why does it matter? I guess um, to the business that that these governance things happen. Well, in the worst case, they can lose their banking license if they don't manage their risk. So if you're a bank and you lose your banking license, well, you're not a bank anymore. Yeah, that's pretty important, I would say. <laughs> and uh, we had a case in Scandinavia recently where one of, the, one of the largest banks in Scandinavia got an $85 million fine for what was essentially an unauthorized change to a production system, which caused uh, uh, an incident that affected users. It was a problem for a day, 24 hours. Um, but the regulator said, well, look, you don't have uh, effective controls to detect unauthorized changes and you've affected uh, the behavior of your customers. So for those reasons, we're going to give you this, this massive fine. And like, okay, you think $85 million in this climate, a bank can, you know, that's like 2% of the revenue or something, no big deal. But it's actually a bigger chunk of their profits which yeah. is starting to be a big deal for shareholders. And anyway, you don't want to be the, the tech team or the managers that are responsible for that problem in the bank. You, it, it's a quick way to call it a career-limiting uh, move. <laughs> Very career-limiting move. Yeah, and I think, you know, I mean, that's just one example. And we won't go through a lot of them, but obviously, you know, data privacy with medical systems, you know, Mike, you're, you're new to the United States. You're going to get to learn about our fantastic medical system here, right? And think about all the paperwork at a doctor's office. So it's like, but you're, to your point, like huge fines, um, if you will, systemic risk to the company, right? In some cases, right? You're losing a banking license or losing your... Uh, so so I just think I just want to pause there just because it's like, it's not just paperwork. <laughs> it has huge repercussions. So I think that's why it's so important. I think you're right. And I think just like you were going for, like once ops set off to the side, like this group is often very isolated, right? From, mm. from that. So I, I didn't mean to interrupt you. So maybe you know, kind of pick up there. So it's sort of like, you're thinking about this governance problem and you're, you're working on it. And so kind of like, is that, I guess that's the origin of costly. Like, is that kind of where you came from? Yeah. Well, I was on the flight back and I was, I was thinking like, like for me, it just, it all felt so stupid, right? That there was this three weeks of nothing happening. There wasn't, I mean, it was risk theater. I mean, all the things that were being filled out in that SharePoint already existed in other systems that had Jira tickets and the build yeah. system or the test results or, you know, it was all there. You, they just if they could just gather it and control for it automatically, then they wouldn't have to do any of that form filling. And if it was controlled for automatically and provable and you had your receipts, then why not just let them deploy to production, make it a standard change, make it safe? Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know that's that's where I'll, we want to take our, our customers, but that was the idea. It's like this this is a circus, but we can help and we can actually make it so that it it really does have uh, an improvement in terms of your risk management your you know your audits can get better you have more with continuous compliance you um you don't wait until an audit to get found out um there's lots of good things that come from this all right so so if i kind of understand correctly so cost is really attacking this governance area and you say i think one of the things you say i think this off your website says uh Costly doesn't replace any of your existing tools. In fact, it's compatible with whatever DevOps tools your teams are currently using. So, so maybe explain, like kind of get down for it. Cause I know this audience always wants to be a little bit tangible. Hmm. Like, I hear that in, in our conversation. I'm sort of like, well, I'm going to like 
do, I'm going to put something into my pipeline or I'm going to kick off another process or something like that. So maybe take us through, like, how does it actually work? What do I actually have to do? Um, cause this is a great, I think everyone's to hear this. Like, I don't really want to necessarily replace a bunch of tools. I want to use something. So kind of walk us through that process. Yeah. So, I mean, essentially the way Cosly works is really simple. What we do is we record what's running in your environments like Kubernetes, ECS, Lambda, S3, Docker hosts, a, a, a file on a server, whatever. We take cryptographic fingerprints of it and we ship that, uh, as a monitor to, to Cosly. And every time things change, like there's a some a bit flips somewhere. Mm-hmm. We make a new snapshot of that system. So we kind of build up a forensic history of what's actually running. Um, so how does that work? Like, take me through. Like, so all the things you just mentioned, are you sort of like scanning for an IP address and like figuring out what it is and then doing some type of like fingerprint hash? Like, I don't know. Like, what does it mean to record? Yeah. So, I mean, if we take Kubernetes as the example most people are familiar with. Mm-hmm. So if like we can either run inside the cluster or have API access to the cluster. Okay. And we just ask, hey, Kubernetes, what's running? Give okay. me the, the, the image digests um, and the pod names and, and some metadata. Okay. We just ship that. And then if a different image is running, then we make a new commit. So we kind of build up this version control history of your environment. Mm-hmm. Um and are you committing to like a source control, like a GitHub, or like what are you saving this yourselves? Like how that? Yeah, it's our own append-only database, but it gotcha. okay. it, it kind of works like version control, though, because you can get a change log for your environment, you can diff between different versions and so on. But it's because of the binary nature of this; it's not text, um, and the semantic nature of the data we're storing. It, it, version control uh, wouldn't be the right solution. Okay, so would it be fair, like an audit? I mean, at the end, I'm getting basically an audit log. I can look back and see every, is that a fair yeah. way to characterize it? So you say, like, what was running in production on Christmas Day? That's a question that's super okay. easy to answer. Or what's the difference between production today and yesterday? What Got systems it. have changed? Or, okay. like, one of the things that our customers really love is, like, just knowing the difference between staging and prod. Like, mm-hmm. I've got 120 microservices here and 120 microservices there. Right. Are they the same? Is something still waiting to be promoted? All of these are, they shouldn't be hard questions to answer, right? Right. Okay. So you're taking a snapshot of everything. So they, and then, so how did I, what did I have to do to get the snapshot when I was deploying it? What, what just, do I need to do? Just set up the monitor. So in the case of uh, Kubernetes, you could just install a Helm chart and you're done. That's it. Okay. And then your software just be out there taking snapshots and all, all along those lines. So maybe pick, like, I don't know, maybe one more, like, I don't know. What if I'm, what if I'm running like VMware, same kind of thing. Can you do that? Or like, what yeah. kind of environment, is there sort of environments that are easy or hard or is it just anything? They're all kind of the same. So in the end, what you need is a way to run our, our monitor. So it's a, it's just a, a, a CLI tool that mm-hmm. you either run in a cron job or have watching a file system. Got and it. then okay. uh, when things change, we take all the fingerprints and ship it. Okay. So um, like, if you're using like AWS, typically what you do is you set up this this monitor as a Lambda function that gets triggered on an event bridge anytime any of your systems change. Okay. And then like you get kind of real-time updates of what's running. And that in itself is quite useful because in regulated industries, most developers have got no access to prod. So they've mm-hmm. it's really hard for them to know where the code is. Like which commits are in which environments. Right. Like that's tricky quite often. 
Okay, so they so the developers can basically go to your system. Maybe let's talk about how they interact. Is it like a reporting kind of uh, system? Can I do some searching? Like, how do, how do I if I wanted to answer that question? Like, what would I do? All of that. Uh, so we've got a CLI, which you can also uh, uh, interact through Slack. You can do queries just like you would with a, like a Git. You like to give us the log for production. Let me see this this version at this time. Um, and then we have a web interface, a CLI interface. Um, okay. Good. And then how do is it? Uh, uh, how do I deploy? Is it? Uh, are you offering it as a service today? Yeah. yeah. And are, are there any other options besides as a service? Can I? You know, this is always a classic question. I'm a large enterprise. I'm Schlumberger. Can I yeah. bring it on premise? How are you doing that? Uh, there's nothing stopping us, and we've had some, especially in defense, that seems to be the the way people want it because they've got air gap systems and and so mm-hmm. on. But for most of our customers, they want SaaS because from an audit perspective, it's actually a really powerful thing to be able to say because our system is append only. You can't modify or change anything. And it's mm-hmm. off-site. It's in our systems. So when the auditor says, okay, show me uh, the proof of that you followed your process and you show them in Costly, when the next thing they say is, who has access to the system of record? How do you know mm-hmm. someone hasn't gone in and tampered with this evidence? And then in, if it's on-prem, you have to say, ah, oh, we've got this security, only Dave has mm-hmm. access, and we log it through this spreadsheet somewhere. Right. It starts to get a bit flaky. But if your system of record is, oh, it's in Cosly, we don't have access, it's append only, that's the end of the conversation. Okay. Um, and that's also, so because we're... Really- that's really answering the, the auditors. So when you said there, just to make sure I understood that was sort of like, that's sort of like the auditors worry that somebody else has access to this audit log and is making some changes. Right. And so you can basically say, Hey, it's only in Cosly. And then you can do some type of like hashing, like tamper proof log, I assume. Yeah, that, yeah, exactly. I don't know. Auditors always want that. You always show them some like fancy complicated math and they're like, see, no one changed this. <laughs> um, that's what I've seen. <laughs> seen. So, okay. So Let's think about it this way. So I, I kind of feel like, you know, sometimes I, I feel like people hear this and they're like, oh, it sounds like work. But I, I would, I think of it this way. It's around um, some of the audits I've been close to, right? It's like, you kind of have two choices. Like mm. uh, the boss says like the auditor showing up next week, you're, you're going to sit with them. And uh, it's like, I don't know, spreadsheet hell. Like the auditor has a spreadsheet. Mm. You have some CSVs and maybe you're writing some Python scripts or whatever. And it's just, I mean, it's just chaos, right? Trying to get all the data in there. Um, and so you can do that like on whatever the audit cadence is, quarterly, annual, or whatever. Or option two, and I think this is why, like, why tools like yours are so popular, is sort of like, we just do this all the time. We're, like Anyone can walk in at any moment. And then you sit the auditor down mm. and you say, here's the access to everything. And then you say, here, let me run the report for you. And it's all done. I mean, I think that to me is, is, I mean, I guess for any developer out there listening, like this is why you do all that work. So you don't have to like spend all this time, waste all this time. I guess what you said before, like security theater, spend three weeks answering those questions. So I don't know, they get the value proposition, right? What I miss inside that, that statement. No, that's, that's completely it. It's like about being always audit ready. And what we're trying to do is to make sure that the audit has basically zero cost to the, the, the software development organization. Um, so by having a track of all the changes to your environments, that's one part. The other part is, well, where did these changes come from and did they follow your process? So mm-hmm. um, like this is where we do the logging in the pipelines. So you, for instance, you, you would, uh, when 
like to know where software comes from, we do binary provenance. So you report all the artifacts you build in your uh, build pipelines. So you say mm-hmm. this build process at this URL from this Git commit produced this Docker image uh, with this SHA-256 sum. So now you've got a provable like chain of custody from commit through to production just with that one command. Right. And then you can start to say, oh, we're going to also attach, uh, let's make attestations around pull requests, security scans, approvals, whatever like your steps are, you say, in your process, you, you collect the receipts in your pipeline. And typically, like installing, like if you take a, a team or a teams that are on the Kubernetes microservices architecture, you can set up Cosly in less than a day. But what it means is after that, you're always audit ready. Audits cost you nothing because they're, they're there. And you also have a tool that gives you a lot of insight into what's changing and where the changes are coming from. No, that's excellent. That's excellent. And also, I think maybe we should talk about security. The, you know, the flip side, of, I guess, of audit is, is security. So it seems like the same kind of logic applies to the sense of like, have I, you know, applied the latest patches? Have I, um, am I running the right version of the operating systems? Am I like kind of all the things the security teams wants to know? Like, did you do all of this? Have you done this patch? Have you checked for these various vulnerabilities? Um, I don't know. Is that something that you're, you know, causally is helping with as well? Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, compliance is one part of risk. So is security, right? And often they're, they're very close like they're kissing cousins, if you like. They're, they're, it's like typically the things that governance or risk or change management are interested in, security functions are super interested in too. Like without having an inventory of all your running systems and where it came from, how do you know if you're running, uh, if you've been breached, you're running a Bitcoin miner in production, if you've got unauthorized changes, a developer has kubectl access and deploying stuff directly from their laptop. Uh, without chain of custody, uh, runtime forensics, all of this becomes much, much harder. And and this is what's kind of kind of funny about the old ways like ITIL and these old IT change management processes and like the new ways of doing things in DevOps is that here you're actually recording the facts. Like the old ways of managing risk were let's fill out a form or mm-hmm. let's promise something. Right. I'm going to promise something. Well, it's but, a lot of CYA too. It's like, if this goes wrong, you personally, Mike, you're going to be the one in trouble. And that sort of like, that fear is what that you hope that person did extra work, right? Which may or may not have happened. So, I mean, I don't know. It's, it's, it, it, maybe it was never a good system, but that's sort of like, I think when you get to the default, it's sort of like a fear-based version versus like, oh, we automated all this, but please continue. Yeah. And it's, it's also, it's the same old story where like, it's very similar to manual testing, right? Mm-hmm. We used to do manual testing because that was what we had. This, we had a whole or part of the organization that was called QA, and their job was to qualify our systems before they blew up in production. That was their job. They, they mm-hmm. were finding jobs. But what we realized is that if you want to deliver incrementally, then you can't do a big development and test it. You, you have to retest the whole system all the time, yep. and the only way to do that is with um, with automation. We're kind of, I see the same thing with security. I mean, you can have security checklists, you can have security sign-offs, but really the only way to stay secure and deliver a thousand changes a day is by automating the scans, automating the the the, the dependency management, the, the 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 license management. All of this stuff has to happen in your process. You can't rely on people for that stuff anymore because people make mistakes. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, that all makes sense. Mm-hmm. So um, give me a sense of uh, just pick any one of your favorite customer examples. Like what's, what's the size of the environment? You know, that's a good representation of someone using costly and then maybe give us, cause this is always the follow up. It's like, how long did it take for them, that customer to like embrace it and actually get it up and start you know, realizing the benefits? Yeah. So, I mean, like th- there's two customers that I'm, I'm super proud of right now. Uh, one, I can't tell you the name because it's not yet public, but uh, the first I'll, I'll give you is um, one of our early customers, actually. They're called Theory and they're based in uh, Scandinavia. They're Scandinavia's biggest crypto exchange. Okay. Um, and they're very tech first. You know, it's quite quite a greenfield company. So they don't have the same legacy and like the, the fossil record of tech that older financial services companies have. Um, so it was it was really quick to get set up with them. You know, we're talking hours really, um, just because of the uniformity of this. But they had last year they had over a hundred thousand changes to their uh, wow. systems. Okay. Uh, th- I mean, I, th- I don't know how big they are, but they're not more than hundreds of people. Yeah, I mean, that's amazing when you think about like changes per day or per hour. It's like, wow. I mean, that's like, I don't, I mean, that's a system that's like almost never the same. But yeah, go, go ahead. That's, that's crazy. That's crazy. But that's how it is with dynamic cloud native systems, right? Yeah. There's, there's all the changes coming through from the developers, but there's also scaling events. There's also, yeah, these are all point. material changes that yeah. need to be documented. Good point. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, they were able to deliver all of that change with continuous compliance. There was no change advisory board meetings, no change record forms. There was, you know, it was all built into the pipeline. And their audit time went from three months to three days. Um, so when the auditors come now, they, they don't spend a lot of time with the developers. They, they go and look at how the, 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 the compliance officers are doing their job or how users get provisioned in their system or what their physical security on their offices are like, you know, because there's the, it'd be like trying to break into an empty house. Yeah. You can spend hours looking at all these shots, but you're not going to find anything that's useful. Yeah, no, that's great. So, that, okay. So that's a, that's a really good one. So it's sort of like what, and you said, I mean, so our, that's a pretty bold statement. So really deployment of, of something like that is, let's say a matter of days, just you know, getting your software and, and putting it in. So, so mm-hmm. pretty simple. And then what's, um, so it sounds like the sales pitch is pretty simple, right? So you either spend uh, whatever you said there, you said uh, 30 days, how many days on audit? Three months say? was their three last months, audit. So 90 that. days on auditing, or you can do it in three days. So that's pretty good. Well, what can you say um, about like uh, two things, I guess, pricing. And then how do I know if uh, someone's listening to this today, they may be a very small company. They could be a gigantic mm-hmm. company. Like, how should they qualify themselves? Are they the right kind of customer that should use uh, be using costly? Is there like a sweet spot that you really see that you're providing the most value? Well, I mean, this, the, definitely the foundation is around helping folks that need the receipts, right? You know, mm-hmm. the way I talk about costly to non-technical folks is that, you know, when you go for a coffee uh, and you go into the coffee shop, you buy a coffee, you, you tap your card, you walk away with your coffee, Everyone gets what they want. They get the money, you get your coffee. But if you're on a business trip and you, you, you buy a coffee and you want to expense it to the company, you need the receipt because, and you need to take a picture of it and send it into accounts and then they'll file it away somewhere. And this is necessary because it's going to be audited for tax purposes. You need, a, you need the trail of breadcrumbs. So if you need a trail of breadcrumbs for your software delivery process, 
because you meet a regulator or you're trying to meet an ISO standard or you want to do SOC 2 compliance or any of these reasons, then Cosly can be a great fit. Okay. And is there like a free trial like a, or how do, can I you know, try it out and do, do something to kind of see it all working? Absolutely. There's a free trial and would be happy to support you in the, in our Slack community. Um, and yeah, it's, it's, it's quite, people think about compliance and they think, oh, it's going to be a big job, but it's really not if you automate it. Like gathering the receipts is super easy in DevOps. You've, you've already done the hard work by embracing pipelines and uh, cloud native architectures. So the, the 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 implementation with us is very quick. Yeah, you know, my experience has been uh, with so many things, whether it be like a Denny management or monitoring, or in this case, compliance. It's it's always one of these things like you probably need it sooner than you think, and mm. it is kind of, um, if you will, a little bit intimidating at first. But like, it's sort of it's like I don't know, it's like writing a long assignment from school, like. Until you actually start it, you're just like, we're never going to finish. But if you start and you get going, you're just like, oh, it really will, it'll, it'll happen. And it'll be a lot easier. And I think the same thing is true. Like, so probably any company really, you know, if you're, you're going to eventually run into this compliance thing. So if you start earlier and you get it automated, if you will, you can uh, save yourself from having to learn the pain of the long audits. Mm-hmm. Um, but as I tell my son all the time, sometimes you got to learn the hard way. Sometimes you got to go through the audits and be like, I never want to experience that again. <laughs> That's probably like, if you're listening to it, like probably the best people are the people that have just finished a long, painful audit and be like, I never want to go through that again. So mm-hmm. those people probably should call you first. And then everyone else, those that want to do the easy way, they can call you as well. Okay, anything you want to share about pricing? Because everyone wants to know, like, you know, kind of like, if, if honestly, if they have the amount of budget to 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 work with you, yeah. So it, I mean, it starts on a sliding uh, scale. So it, it, it's a, it, it depends on the amount. Essentially, it's about the the, the number of um, artifacts or services that we have to gather data on. So basically, the the, the more evidence you need, uh, the more the the, the value it's, uh, it, we we charge. So um, we start at. We have a very generous free tier. So a, a small team who just wants to keep track of what's going on, they can use us for free. They'll never have to pay us a penny. Um, but then as you start to get into more and more pipelines, maybe you're a distributed team, maybe you've got uh, 25 flows, whatever it happens to be, then we charge on a per service uh, basis uh, because that's what we're recording. Okay, that all makes sense. That's uh, that, that's all a good place to start for everyone. So, um, where uh, I guess final thoughts here on anything else? So, I assume then go to your website to uh, sign up and uh, try it out. Yeah, it's already. You can go and uh, self serve, try it yourself, kick the tires. We've got great docs. Um, always looking for feedback and comments and uh, feature requests. Um, one thing I, I would like to add, though, just before as a wrap up, is the other customer case that's actually quite interesting. That isn't. Uh, they're not actually regulated, but they they still use Cosly as a an observability tool. So uh, oh, okay. the other use case for us is okay. Maybe you're not getting audited. Maybe you don't need three years of uh, of history or keeping the receipts. But maybe you've got production for you is twelve clusters spread over different time zones. You've got hundreds of microservices that are changing, and when things go wrong, it's really hard to figure out what changed. Uh, and from Cosly, you can go from, you know, the vertical line that indicates trouble in your monitoring tool to what changed in your environments to the code, to the person to talk to within seconds. And and that's that's the other use case that we're super excited about. 
So it's sort of like configuration drift. Is that kind of the, the thing you're trying to get into sort of detect that and make it really auditable so people can see it? Exactly. So it's just like, you know, daylight is the best disinfectant, right? So it's like, can we just make everything between commit and production visible for everyone who needs it? Yeah. Um, yeah, no, that's, that's well said. Well, you know, I always like to think about this. So you've been with Costly, you've been with this product, obviously, since the beginning, and you've done a lot with DevOps. What, you know, if, if I was just to pin you down, make you pick between your children here, and it's like, <laughs> what is the thing in Costly, like, whether it's a feature, it's a specific architecture, what is the thing that you're like, you're most proud of, or that really stands out that everyone should know about? Like, what's, what's the, the, the thing you really like inside there? Oh, well, can I pick two? Because there's there's two that are. Allow we'll it. I'll check with I'll check with the the the, uh, the governance board. We uh, you know, we just got we just got approval. You can name two. Okay, so the first one isn't. Uh, so I shouldn't really be this proud about it because it's such a dumb thing, really. Oh, it, this I, is my like. This is this is this is this is the content. This is what you waited for. I'm I'm excited for this answer now. Go ahead. So, like the 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 highest value feature we have in our product is a button on uh, the the environment log page that says export CSV. Oh. Speaking my language right yeah. now. Yeah, and it's like we only have that button because when customers get audited, the auditors go in and they say, "I want a I want a spreadsheet. Give me an Excel spreadsheet of every change to this system in the last uh, ninety days or whatever time period they're interested in." And we have all that data, and we can show them in 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 our in our dashboards and so on. But they want a spreadsheet because they've got a little Excel macro that does some kind of statistical analysis to find out which particular changes they're going to look at. And they can't do it unless they have a spreadsheet. So that's why they always want spreadsheets. So like it, it, it was a feature that like, I think it took us a day to implement, but it, it's the one that makes the biggest difference in audit. I have to say that's like, it's not sexy. It's not cool, but boy, does it. You're in the right place. Longtime listeners of software defined talk. We have talked about export to CSV a million times. And I often say like, I don't care what you do, what kind of enterprise software you have. Hmm. You have to have export to CSV. Don't fight it. Just do it. So I love it, but I want to cut you off. You said you had two. So, I mean, that's going to be hard to stop. I am a lover of the export to CSV, but go ahead. What's the second one? Yeah, so the second one is something that's like a bit more into the future for us, which is like, okay, now we've got this. We, we're kind of like a data plane for everything that's going on in your DevOps, your builds, your tests, security scans, deployments, how your environments are changing, scaling events. We've got all this coming in. We're recording it faithfully into an append-only journal. But we've, we've just been building an, a notifications engine now which is it kind of turns costly into an if this, then that for your DevOps. Mm -hmm. So uh, anytime your environment becomes incompliant, uh, send a webhook, uh, hit this webhook. Or anytime this environment changes, we'd like an update in the Slack channel. And you start to realize, okay, well, this is fun. We haven't really even begun to dig to the bottom of what this feature could do in terms of automation. But I'm thinking from a platform engineering perspective, like uh, we already have chat ops, we know we know how things are changing. So then, what kind of automation could you build on top of the facts around your DevOps events? Um, okay. I'm super excited about that. All right, well, good one. So it sounds like export CSV, some future notifications, some good stuff there. All right, well, we'll get you out of here on one more question, not related to the technology. Um, I've never been to Oslo, so I feel like for for everyone listening, I just I don't know. Give us a tip, like. What's what's the right place to eat? Where should we stay? What should we do? Like what I don't know. What's one good tip about Oslo? Everyone needs to know. 
I mean, I love Oslo. I think it's a great city. Um, I've lived there for 15 years. Um, my favorite thing, so go there either in the height of summer, so you get lots of sunshine and daylight. Definitely. <laughs> or if you're into skiing, then go in February, and then you'll get a lot of cross-country and downhill skiing. So they're the two times you want to go. Okay. Um, the other part is, like, I love, like, it's, Oslo is just surrounded by nature. So um, from where I lived in Oslo, you can take a bus for five minutes, ten minutes, and get to the beach. Uh, you can wow. get downtown into the city center, or you can get into, like, in a massive, extensive nature reserve of forest and uh, and hills to walk around. Um, so it, it's a great city for nature lovers, uh, and that's the, the part of Oslo I love the most. All right. Well, that sounds like uh, sounds like an excellent. Sounds like definitely in the summer. I'll be there in the summer. I think I'm gonna, okay. I'm gonna go the winter. That's gonna everyone else could decide. Um, all right. So we're gonna have links to everything we talked about in the show. Obviously, Causley sounds like it's easy to sign up and contact them. Um, but what else? Uh, if, if someone wants to contact you online, this has become a complicated question now. I don't know which. Everyone has their own philosophy. Which social networks or uh, methods of communication are you working with these days? Well, I mean, I'm still on Twitter or X or whatever it's called this week. But um, so you can get me Microsoft there, M-E-E-K-R-O-S-O-F-T. Or LinkedIn is actually quite easy. If you go to the Cosley page, you'll find me there. Um, And I have to say, I've been I've been quite enjoying LinkedIn lately. There's been people having positive conversations. It's been friendly. (laughs) It's been nice. It's uh, (laughs) a Get good it's, vibes. Yeah. So. It's like, but then again, any port in a storm. So um, <laughs> I will see where I'm in uh, six months. But yeah, LinkedIn, Twitter, are both fine. You can get us at Cosley.com as well if you want to reach out there. You can uh, you can get in touch with us through the contact form. All right. Well, fantastic. Well, thanks a lot, Mike. Really appreciate you coming on the show today. Thank you, Brandon. It's been brilliant. Thanks a lot. All right, for everyone else, uh, if this is the first time you've listened to Software Defined Talk, then welcome, and you should just subscribe right now using the podcast player uh, that you're listening on, or you can go to softwaredefinedtalk.com. And also, if you would like a sticker, just send your postal address to stickers at softwaredefinedtalk.com, and I will be happy to send you a sticker anywhere in the world. And with that, thanks for listening. We'll talk to you next time.